we're here. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome. It is Monday night. I always have to think about it. For well, a we were live last night. That's why. That's true. So, um, yeah. So it's a Monday night. Generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And we had to do a we had this to do is a why with certain people, I don't even like to say that they're coming. I don't like to say that certain people are coming because certain people are not as consistent as other people. So therefore, nobody's disappointed if they're not expecting any particular person. Yeah, That's how yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. We hear that a lot. But of course, uh, we have been wanting to get on. You know, it's funny. We have banners that list like certain guests that are on the show. And of course, there are certain guests that they have a default banner for them because we know they're going to be back. And so, of course, our good friend, Max Alvarez, has his own banner. He's part of a right. Well, team. and the irony that the last time Max was on was we were really we were talking about the railroad worker strike potential Isn't that interesting? potential and and basically how that was being squashed as it was. So and now and yeah. And now, lo and behold. Now we're having a situation, which, by the way, I'm still not convinced that this doesn't happen a lot more. And we just don't know about it because of where it might happen, where it's less people see or know. So I'm not convinced that, like, this is such an outlier, <laughs> but the location is such that, yeah. I guess that's sort of like the lawyer speak. That's what I do, Mallory. <laughs> by the way, I was thinking about you. I wouldn't mind seeing you at some point. Pickleball. Anyway, no, I'm not playing pickleball. We're all going to play. I'm not playing pickleball. You I know, love from, you, Mallory, but I'm not playing pickleball. You know, from the Real News Network, he is literally the eyes and ears of the labor movement as far as I'm concerned in the United States. Max Alvarez, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Hey, I hope, I hope I'm in the more uh, uh, reliable person category. Absolutely. Oh, yes. The fact that you can, you like, what do you call it? Like, no, I love the fact, or whatever. I, I love the fact that it, it is always good to know who in terms of like guests on channels are like, you can't prepare like two weeks in advance, but on the fly, it's like, all right, yeah, I'm good tonight. I can get on board. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of what you need. Well, and it's people that are eager to share the message. Like it's people that are wanting to make a difference. So it isn't, a, you know, it's like, if you have the time, why not? It's, you know, why not spread the love? So you obviously heard the irony of that. The last time we saw you, we were talking about specifically about the railroad workers. And here we are. Um, yeah. Can't say we're too surprised. No, we? um, last week we had on a couple of guys from the or, uh, people from the union, a journalist from there, and um, and a driver, yeah. uh, like one of the drivers, and specifically talking about what went wrong. And this was all preventable. It was absolutely preventable, right? And and I don't know. I mean, like you you guys know this, and I, I imagine um, anyone uh, who is seen my work or, or perhaps caught me on previous shows um, will understand why uh, my head is is frankly exploding right now. And yeah. not just me, but, um, you know, my colleague uh, Mel Buer has been uh, running around doing the, the rounds yeah. as well. Uh, we were on last time, as you mentioned, to talk about the high stakes contract yeah. fight that was playing out over the course of last year. What a lot of people don't realize is that that was actually year number three of the contract yeah. negotiations. So uh, even we, when we started reporting on it, like, you know, over a year ago, 
we were still two years late to this contract fight. Like no one was really paying attention to it. But then we started talking to more workers, more workers. Um, I was interviewing uh, retired workers, current workers, you know, about the sort of like certain issues that I was hearing about on the railroads, right? So I think we mentioned last time, the first time that I interviewed someone for the Real News Network was when I spoke to Jeff Kurtz, a retired uh, locomotive engineer who also works with Railroad Workers United uh, in a volunteer capacity. I interviewed um, Jeff uh, about um, a a strike that was going to happen where 17,000 conductors and engineers for BNSF Railway were prepared to strike at the beginning of February last year, and a district court blocked them from being able to do that. They were prepared to strike over a draconian new attendance policy that workers said was going to make uh, you know everything worse. It was going to drive people out of the industry. It was going to hurt the supply chain because it was going to run workers into the ground. And lo and behold, that's what happened. Now, the reason I'm going into this backstory is because what Jeff told me then And what has only become truer, you know, with every passing day is he's like, you need to understand this goes much deeper than one strike or one attendance policy or even one carrier. The issues that are driving um, so many railroad workers to flee the industry in record numbers, the reasons that people uh, who have been on the railroads for 15, 20 years um, and are trying to get to retirement are considering giving all that up because they can't take it anymore, right, are all the reasons that we talked about the last time on this show All the things that were at issue that workers were trying to get the rail carriers to address, like, you know, the constant year after year staff cuts, the cutting, cutting corners, cutting costs at at any any way they could do it. Just cut your operating costs year after year after year um, so that you could keep jacking up, you know, uh, shareholder dividends, stock buybacks, executive pay, so on and so forth. So how does this play into what we're watching? in East Palestine right now. Well, folks can, um, you know, as I always say, don't don't take it from me, take it from the workers. You can listen to interviews that we've published at The Real News recently, um, you know, uh, last week as well with Jeff Kurtz was there, uh, Matt Weaver from the Maintenance of Way Workers in Ohio. Yeah. Um, and also I interviewed um, Jay, a longtime dispatcher on Breaking Points, who very eerily predicted a scenario almost exactly like what happened in East Palestine when I interviewed him for my podcast last summer. And so I say all this because I know that folks who are looking for answers right now are finding piecemeal answers in mainstream media coverage. There's a lot of talk about, for instance, uh, the braking systems on these trains. Um, That is a big, important, you know, issue. The fact that these like two mile long trains are still using Civil War era air braking systems uh, is bonkers to me. (laughs) But like that's only a fraction of the bigger picture. What I really want people to to, um, understand from the jump and then I promise I'll shut up is that like this is really the culmination of all of those grievances that workers were shouting about to anyone who would listen. And sadly, a lot of people did not listen, but they were saying you can't just keep cutting staff across the board because in East Palestine, you can see the result of those staff cuts. It's not just reducing the number of crewmen on the trains because, I mean, remember, the rail carriers want to get one person operating those two, three mile long trains. And thankfully, there were three people on this train because there was actually a trainee on board. There would have only been two otherwise. But it's not just that. 
It's the maintenance of way guys, the guys who check the track, right? It, they have been cut too. So now they are, you have fewer people covering longer, larger territories of track. They're not going to be able to get to all of that. I'm hearing stories of track, uh, railroad tracks and disrepair around the country, but also the guys in the machine shop um, who are supposed to be inspecting and fixing the rail cars. We know from the initial surface transportation board report that it does look like uh, there was a bearing issue um, that uh, there was a bearing that was on fire and failing. And, and that's what triggered the uh, hot bots detector just before the train derailed. So those are things that um, the, the guy, the carmen are tasked with inspecting, but because of the staff cuts, because of this wall street mindset that has taken hold of the industry, these guys who used to, there used to be more of them. They used to spend, you know, five, six minutes crawling all over those cars, inspecting every bearing, every axle, every corner. Now they basically have 60 seconds to kind of give a car a once over and say, okay, yeah, that looks good because that is the quota they're being asked to make. And if they don't make it, they're the ones who get punished for it. And it's not just that. I can keep going. The signalmen have also suffered staff cuts. The signalmen are the ones who are tasked with maintenance of the like the, the, the signals, the technology that is on the track, like those hot box detectors that are supposed to pick up whether or not you have an axle or a bearing problem. Those guys have also been cut. And so now, like the maintenance of way guys, they are now fewer people who are covering much more expansive territories. They don't have time to actually maintain these hot box detectors. They're just running like a quick government approved test on them and moving on. Right. So all of this shit is kind of culminating in this. And the thing I want to stress to everyone is that. It's not just like, oh, this horrific tragedy happened in East Palestine yeah. and now it's going to be OK. No, what railroaders are telling me is like this could happen again anywhere, any second, because we have done literally nothing different yet. OK, and here's something that also freaked me out when we had um, them on last week that I learned, which is quite disturbing. And this is not even a railroad thing, a rail, you know, rail carrier thing as much as a regulation thing. So apparently, <clears throat> In order for a rail or a certain train to be qualified, categorized as hazardous, there has to be X amount of trains, cars on that train that are within that category. So in other words, if there's just one, then that train is not marked. as a, like this was I was my mind was exploding with this. And I said, so you're telling me if there's just one car, because really it only takes one. Um, and the thing is, that individual car will be marked accordingly. But the entire train is not like labeled, registered in the system as it's running on the tracks as hazardous. Yeah. No, I think that's that's a really important point for people that's to crazy. know. Right. Because that's that's where people watching and all of us as informed democratic citizens need to be cutting through the bullshit here. Right. Because what these carriers will say is let's say we were abiding by federal regulations. So anyone with two neurons in their brain will say, well, that doesn't seem right. So there must be a problem with the regulations. Yeah, you're right. It's because you have all of these greasy lobbyists and bought off politicians oh, yeah. loving each other down in D.C. And so they are making the regulations so scant and so insignificant. And so, I mean, care. I'm not going to say they're insignificant, but they are clearly not sufficient. And so you can allow a train like a two mile long Norfolk Southern train with this much hazardous material that doesn't have to classify itself that way that yes. is absurd 
It's crazy. And you know what I was thinking? It's like this to me, the, when I look at the railroad system, it almost seems like a really prime opportunity for us to try out employee owned companies. And I, I actually think that the rail carriers should be owned and operate like run by their owned by their employees. And I think that that might be a step in the right direction. I mean, or nationalized, but I actually, I think it would be better off being an employee. What do you think? You know what I'm saying? Like, don't you think that would be like a better scenario? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely do. Um, And I would point people to, um, because we don't even have to just think about it in abstract terms. Railroad Workers United, a cross-craft solidarity group. They are not one union. They are a collection of folks from the 12 different unions representing uh, over 115,000 rail workers on the freight rail system, but also retirees, solidarity members. It's a really exciting group doing really important uh, work along with the respective unions uh, and the work that they're doing. The reason I bring them up is that they have actually put forth a proposal on- to nationalize the rails. Um, and it like, it, it follows what you're saying, Jen, right? This doesn't mean just like, let's have the government take it over. Right. I mean, their understanding of nationalization is a much more democratic system, something that actually harnesses the knowledge and experience of the people who know this industry best, i.e. the workers who work on them every day and letting that be, you know, like the driving force for the changes we need to see in this industry, because the driving force for it right now is corporate greed, right? It is record profits. I was looking at this just before, and I'll read to everyone. This is uh, from Norfolk Southern. Remember, they, the the I won't go through everything we went through last year when we were trying to kind of fill people's con- like knowledge gaps about the rail system. Uh, I guess I would say if you guys want more of that info, go check out the last uh, live stream that, that we did with yeah. Mel Buer. Um, but there, there's not just one rail company, right? There are seven class one freight rail carriers, soon to be six because there used to be like over 40, but over the past 40 or so years, the mergers yeah. and acquisitions have created yeah. this sort of um, you know, multi-headed Hydra. It's not a competitive industry. Every one of these carriers like Norfolk Southern, you know, they essentially have their own regional monopoly on certain rail lines, which is why they are able to do whatever the hell they want because they don't have competitors. They're not tightly regulated. So they can screw over their shippers. They can screw over their workers. They can charge whatever they want. They can slash and burn their staff as much as they want because where else, you know, people need to move freight on the railroads. We don't have the capacity to just move move all of that onto the, 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 you know, roads as it were. And so I mentioned that because this is just the earnings call from Norfolk Southern, one of the major class one freight rail carriers, the one uh, whose train derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. In their 2022 earnings call summary, Norfolk Southern said, and I quote, Railway operating revenues were a record $12.7 billion in 2022, up 14% or $1.6 billion compared with 2021, driven by an 18% increase uh, revenue per unit. Now, let me like also jump back to uh, another. So this was at the end of, of or the beginning of 2023. Um, and uh, here is a an Associated Press article from May 16, 2021 by Josh Funk titled U.S. Rail Industry Defends Safety Record Amid Staffing Cuts. 
Now, Josh, I won't read the whole thing, I promise, but Josh Funk writes, quote, even as railroads are operating longer and longer freight trains that sometimes stretch for miles, the companies have drastically reduced staffing levels, prompting unions to warn that moves meant to increase profits could endanger safety and even result in disaster. More than 22% of the jobs at railroads, Union Pacific, CSX, and Norfolk Southern have been eliminated since 2017 alone when CSX implemented a cost-cutting system called Precision Scheduled Railroading that most other U.S. railroads later copied. Here's the kicker. The railroads acknowledge they have cut staff, lengthened, lengthened trains, and made other adjustments to reduce spending, but they are adamant none of the changes increase dangers right Right. Uh, none of the cuts affect safety everything else but not safety no and this is this is like this is how wall street thinks and we are the ones who are bearing the burden of all of this it's like um jay the dispatcher that i interviewed many times on my podcast and recently on breaking points had a great analogy for this he said you know there's a lot of Uh, There are a lot of roles that the railroads used to have filled. There's still some, but of course, the staff cuts have reduced them significantly. But they are essentially there as preventative measures, right? They're there to prevent catastrophes from happening, to maintain the quality of service and the safety of that service, you know, so that we don't see over a thousand derailments a year like we do in this country. So we don't see catastrophic derailments, you know, toxic derailments, like just really, really awful stuff like what we're watching in East Palestine. But the way Wall Street thinks is like, well, if, you know, if we're not having this many accidents, then we can just cut those costs and and cut that staff. And it's like, well, it was that fucking staff that was preventing you from having the accidents in the first place. And now that they've just been, it's like brushing your teeth. That's what Jade told me. He's like, like brushing your teeth, you do it, uh, you know, to avoid cavities, to avoid gingivitis, to avoid losing your teeth. Right. But then if you just say like, well, actually my teeth work fine if I don't brush them. So I'm just going to keep doing that. Then when you're, by the time your teeth start falling out, you're screwed. Right. So that's kind of where we are right now. We, we have, we have let so much of the system rot because, um, wall street didn't see a, a need to, you know, like, quote unquote, waste money on that stuff because we're the ones who bear all the costs. They're still raking it in. They're laughing all the way to the bank. We should be pissed about this. There needs to be a strike. And and like, I feel like what can people do to facilitate this? Like I, I would love to see a situation where they were able to basically take over their company. You know, that, that, that the workers take over the carriers and that that is just what happens. I mean, like, how do we, how do you facilitate that? Because this is absurd. It's absurd that you have to get permission to strike. And when you're told not to strike, I think that that, that the strike should still be the strike. Like, I, the whole concept of getting permission to strike is weird to me. It, 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 yeah, me too. <laughs> right? Like, is it the point of the, like, you they didn't, the yellow vests didn't get permission in France to go on strike. Like they didn't ask for permit. Like that sort of defeats the purpose. If you had permission to strike, you probably wouldn't need to strike. That's yeah. It's a really interesting point, right? Because in many ways, the railway labor act, right? Again, just um, for, for people uh, who aren't caught up on this, I'll do just a 32nd uh, explainer. 
The reason that we had such a long drawn out process last year and preceding that, right? You guys probably all caught wind of this story in September when we were approaching a potential national rail shutdown. What did that mean? It meant that we were approaching the the legal deadline after which the unions, there are 12 different unions representing different um, crafts, different types of workers on the railroads, around 115,000 of them. And then, as I mentioned, there are the freight rail carriers, the businesses owned by people like Warren Buffett, right? True, like, you know, barons and tycoons of our day, right? So like the contract dispute had been going on for three years. Uh, It had to clear just so many stages of like a federal mediation board was appointed. That didn't work. So then the two sides were released, which meant that Biden could appoint a special presidential emergency board to try to broker an agreement between the two sides. That happened in the summer. But so like all of these stages are not the norm for workers who are trying to go on strike. In this country, because most workers, uh, labor relations in most workplaces are governed by the National Labor Relations Act. That is not the case for workers right. on the railroads or the air industry, airline industry. That is, uh, they are governed by what's called the Railway Labor Act, which was ran through. Congress a century ago in the 1920s because or in direct response to workers doing exactly what you're saying, Jim, the establishment saw how railroad workers specifically could bring this country and this economy to its knees when they struck in the late uh, 1800s and in the early 1900s. And so they freaked the hell out and they created this special Rube Goldberg system of rules that is essentially entirely designed to prevent a railroad strike. Um, And so that is why railroad workers were so hamstrung last year, uh, even though their concerns were incredibly legitimate, even though, you know, like as we're seeing now, we all have a vested interest in the things that they were raising, but their their legal recourse has been severely limited by this. But the that the point that you raise is, I think, where we need to get our heads at, because we need to understand if we look at labor history, not just labor history, a lot of the greatest social upheavals and and civil rights movements in this country were illegal at the time. Right. And and that's because like law does not dictate good law reflects how good is defined within a current given society. And there, you know, if that society is run by landowning white dudes who like are racist as hell, then the laws are probably going to reflect that as well. Right. That's what progress looks like is moving past the limitations of our history. We don't have to just say, well, it's illegal, so you know nothing can be done about it. That has never been the labor movement's MO. Right now, um, workers in the United Kingdom are going on strike across industries, right? Rail workers, uh, who I've interviewed on my show as well, um, higher education workers, healthcare workers with the National Health Service, ambulance drivers, civil servants, so on and so forth. And what the Tory government is trying to do is essentially ram through a new law that would force workers to cross their own picket lines during a strike and maintain a, quote, a government-determined minimum level of service in order to prevent, you know, disruption during a strike. And disruption is the whole point of a strike. Now, here in the United States, the Supreme Court may be about to take a hammer blow to workers' rights as we speak. There is a case in the Supreme Court right now. It's Glacier Northwest versus uh, a Teamsters local whose number I forget right now. I apologize. But the whole point of this case case 
And the, and we know how this Supreme, this right wing stack Supreme Court is probably going to rule. Um, what it would mean is essentially businesses can sue unions out of existence for any economic damages incurred during a strike, which again is the whole point of a strike. So like I, I bring all that up to, to really emphasize your point, Jen, that like the, the ruling class is not playing by the same rules that we are. In fact, they are trying to rig the rules even more so that we never actually win. And the sooner we recognize that, the more that we can see how we can still work within the existing laws. But also we need to be able to we need to understand how those laws are being shaped and reshaped to prevent us from making the changes that we need to see in this country. Yeah, we can't even get a serious discussion about the PRO Act. Like, like the bare minimum, which for a state like Florida, you know, we're right to work here. So like for us, it would be significant, but otherwise it's a pretty bare bones and we can't even have a discussion on that. Yeah. We're faced with a very difficult situation right now because you're seeing not just how powerful these mega corporations are. Norfolk Southern happens to be a major financial benefactor to both the RNC and the DNC, <laughs> uh, even though Democrats have a very hard time wrapping that around their head. Um, you guys are going to turn people into the Joker, man. I'm, I'm, I'm like right there right now. <laughs> we're only calling it as we see it. We're calling balls and strikes. And, you know, what I f- find just so unbelievable is the PR campaign that the Democratic establishment will go to on behalf of Buttigieg. It uh, really is amazing. That man. That The length that they will go. And what we pointed out last night on the other podcast we were on, Do Dissonance, is that you know Trump announced that he was going to East Palestine about five days before he actually went there. There was an opening for somebody like Pete, even though Joe is really the one who should have went, but nevertheless could have had a high-ranking noted, you know, known Democratic figure go there and they still didn't do it. And then Trump goes and then Pete decides to go the very next day. It, it's just. Here's what pisses me off about it. I actually don't care who goes there. I just want them to fix the problem. Remedy the problem as best as you can for as many people as you can, as fast as you can. That's it. That's what I want them to do. I don't even care if they go there. They don't have to go there. They could have an influx of people coming in and all sorts of stuff to try to remedy and remediate problems and accommodate people. I don't know. Whatever. Something. but, But how can we possibly rectify this issue when it is being already leaked that the Biden administration is going to side with Norfolk Southern in court regarding any type of lawsuits against their organization. And you wonder why Trump and DeSantis are knocking at the door already and we're two years out. It's it's it's, you you have to wonder if it's deliberate. Oh, man. I do wonder. I mean, like, I, I won't speak to that because it's like, you know. Like when I'm, I don't know, when I'm high and I'm just like, man, these fucking people all know what they're doing. <laughs> but like in, I guess in my sober, you know, like sort of just kind of putting my, my practical glasses on, um, you know, we published a great piece about this at the real news last week by uh, Adam Johnson, who's a co-host of the great podcast citations needed also a brilliant writer, media critic. He wrote a really important um, piece on this about how the total failure on the the Biden side specifically, but also on the Democratic side in general, aided by the failures of the quote unquote liberal media, um, you know, really just 
like opened the door for the biggest most like the greasiest right-wing grifters to just come in and and make political hay out of it and and like i mean because it all the optics were freaking terrible as you said because what are regular people supposed to do when um you know this this really awful train derailment happens um the emergency response uh like makes looks like hell has like the gates of hell have opened up right and regular working people i don't care if they're republican democrat agnostic these are human beings who don't deserve this right they are the ones who are being told to leave their homes immediately then they're the ones who are being told to come back you're going to get a thousand dollars from norfolk southern don't worry the water's safe to drink don't worry the air's safe to breathe and I, I, I got to jump in there because one I of the, if, if, you know, our our title for tonight's show is poll shows that Biden supporters would, would drink the East Palestine water. And what's amazing <laughs> that sounds about is right. that, that, no, it was a Rasmussen poll and they specifically asked them, the government says that the water, in, the Biden administration specifically said that the water in East Palestine is safe to drink. Do you agree? And would you drink the water? And it was between absolutely at like 10% and then probably at like 35, 40%. And you're thinking, this can't be real. Like you can't be this mindless regarding They're very uh, that, that just, well, if, if Joe and his administration say it's okay, then it must be okay. Mm. And that to me is, I, I, it's scary because you look at people, you're the constant finger pointing at Fox News and Trump and you're all in a cult and this and that. And I'm thinking, no, this is even worse because you guys are supposed to be the educated ones. You're supposed to be the smart people. The people who live in East Palestine is a reflection of most of, of rural America that are not highly educated, that work, you know, let's say jobs that are in dangerous areas regarding their health and whatnot. And they're just looking for somebody to come and help them. And yet you have these people that are looking at this situation and saying, that's eh, not that bad. I don't understand. Isn't this a scenario where like we would put gear up people like in the National Guard and hazmat outfits and have them going in and doing everything they can to rectify the situation, helping people evacuate, helping find resources for people with animals, helping to subsidize people who have rural areas like see, this could be remedied to some extent. Like this could be handled in an infinitely better way, but that would require them to give a shit. Just to give a shit. Again, and, and that's the truth. If somebody really cared, they could fix this. If we have the meanwhile, where's our president? He's over giving more money to in weapons to Ukraine. Like I, And they I, are ramp and they are and Max, they are ramping up that money at a well, dangerous exactly. level. It's now. like are you serious? Like, um, are we really thinking? that there's not a way to better facilitate. Yeah. I'm not saying you could undo a toxic spill. Obviously you can't undo. Are we thinking really that this couldn't be handled better? How could you look at that I, I black don't understand. cloud in I don't the understand. sky? I'm so annoyed. And think that that water is And by the drink. way, just it, honestly, unless that stuff is tested, the air, the soil, the water, and cleared by an entity that has nothing to gain financially or politically, then I refuse to accept that as information. No. I don't care. Like, this is ridiculous. I don't, they cannot monitor their own stuff. Norfolk's, I'm, I'm, like, I'm Norf- like living. Norfolk Southern has already checked everything. Oh, wow. Well. And they have determined that everything's safe. Sure. So it's fine. Yeah, and then here's your thousand dollars. <laughs> it's another, I'm, like, I'm like beyond irate with it's this. Another it's another. Yeah, as, as well, you should it's be. Like, I am. Like, I'm, I'm losing Flint. my goddamn mind over like, here. Like, this it's is absurd. Flint, Michigan, and Jackson, Mississippi. 
Mississippi. That's exactly. And they're what sitting it is. there, and people are arguing as that. Well, do we blame the governor or the president? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Exactly well, that. <laughs> and you and and you like. I'm really glad that that you'll just mention that we brought up in the same breath. Yeah. Flint. Right, that we're bringing up Jackson, Mississippi. We were bringing up Chicago. There was a massive study last year showing, like, that a vast uh, swath of uh, Chicago, predominantly the poor black and brown side, is getting lead poisoned, right? And, like, you know, this is happening all over the place. And so to hook it back quickly to what I was saying about how yep. the, the bungled response from the Democrats, from the mainstream media, um, that really kind of created this sort of vacuum where people felt like no one was paying attention to them because they weren't, right? And so that enabled you know, grifters like J.D. Vance and and uh, Tucker Carlson and even Trump, right, to come in and capitalize on it um, because no one on the other side was doing jack shit about it, right? And then they turn it into this, like, just gross political point scoring where it's like, oh, this is this is a manufactured thing because this is a, a, a Trump country. You know, these are white people. These are these are white working class, uneducated. Right, they voters. deserve this because they voted this way. Right. Well, anyone who says that, like, is a, is a piece of <laughs> shit. If that train couldn't um, have derailed in a blue county. They they are. That's the thing. That's what I'm trying to say. Is these these derailments are happening in blue counties, red counties, all right. over the goddamn place, just like um, children are being lead poisoned in Everywhere. Democratic states, Republican states. The, the 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 common denominator is that the ruling establishment on the government side, on the industry side, they do not give a shit about poor and working people. They want us to die. They could care less what happens to us. That is very much a bipartisan, uh, you know, like consensus. We know this by now. And so when people see a catastrophe like this and they immediately, like you guys said, they immediately say, which party is more to blame for oh. this? Like uh, uh, it shows you the, the, the extent to the sort of like ideological brain rot that, that you have to have in this country because that's what we're taught. And it's like, you miss the whole point. It's like, I don't, I don't care about these parties. I care no. about the people who are suffering from this. I care about the people who are being led astray or misled about the quality of their water, who are just trying to get, know if they can give their kids the water from the tap. Right. Like all of us should be able to say like, you know what? Fuck both parties. Like I want to help these people. Why is no one helping these people? And then like, you know, we should realize that both Democrats and Republicans are equally responsible for this mess in myriad ways. We don't have to go yeah. into all of it. You guys can look at the other great reporting that's been out there by the lever, by breaking points, you by know, us. Max, you know what the real problem is. The real problem isn't have anything to do with that, right? Like the real problem is capitalism is killing the planet. Yeah. And that that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. And that's what it is. And that's what controls both parties. And uh, all of it is just like this political theater. And it's ridiculous. And if anybody really cared, they could be helping infinitely more than they are. That's what I know. And, and the reason they're not is because capitalism. Yeah, that's what I know. I think that's I think that's exactly right. And again, like the the railroads are you know, a, a microcosm of that, right? Because, you know, it, it's, we all depend on this supply chain, right? But it's, you know, these are privately owned companies. 
that, you know, like kind of essentially get to do what they want. Again, it is a regulated industry like the the conductors, the engineers. They have to memorize hundreds and hundreds of pages of operating codes that can change, you know, like by the day. So they're the ones who are bearing all the brunt of the regular the safety regulations that they have to abide by while they're also being uh, facing just relentless staff cuts, uh, reduced quality of life. Um, you know, they're, they're being they run need into to the strike. They, yada, their yada, rank yada. and file needs to have a bigger beef with their union heads. Their rank and file needs to say the hell with this. These people need to strike like they could shut down the whole country. Well, I, I, I like th- this is. I don't think that the heads of their unions are accurately representing and negotiating on behalf of their rank and file. You know, I mean, like in situations like those, it's like, I'll be honest, I never feel like it's my place to say, right? right? You know, because I, I, you know, if I'm not in that union, then, you know, I really just defer to them. But I encourage rank and filers to make their voices heard because I was like like yeah like they if if a union's not working for you like if it's feeling top-down bureaucratic it's unresponsive to the concerns of the rank and file then that leadership needs to go then you need to do something about it don't just quit and leave don't just say oh unions are are a thing of the past they're they're useless no like anything else like like workers are doing around the country when they say if things aren't the way that they should be if I'm being taken advantage of, if I'm not being listened to, then I'm not just going to quit and leave this situation for some sad sucker, whatever poor sucker comes in the door next. Me and my coworkers are going to stay here. We're going to band together and we're going to do something about it. Right. And so that's where I think the hopeful part of this comes in is that there are a lot of workers within the rail industry and beyond who are making that step and saying, we're not going to leave. We're not going to just defer to management or, you know, the higher ups and trust them to make all the right decisions because we see how wrong their decisions actually are. Um, we're going to actually stay and, and fight and to improve this place whether that be a Starbucks here in Baltimore, a Home Depot in Philadelphia, yeah. an Amazon warehouse in New York, right? I mean, and what I would just add to that in terms of what railroad workers can do or should do, right, is like because of all the restrictions railroaders are, have been facing, because of how easily they can get fired for speaking out. And be, if, if any one of them puts their neck out, they're going to get crushed, right? This is what railroad, this is why it was so hard for me to get right. railroad workers to talk to me last year in the first place, because a lot of them would talk to me on background, but they were like, if I put my name out there, I will get fired, right? And, and that's still the case for a lot of these workers. And so what we need, if we want to see real change to the rail industry, we need to take this horrific, avoidable, depressingly avoidable catastrophe in East Palestine and recognize that we have a vested interest in this. This is not just the workers' problem. This is all of our problem, yeah. right? And in fact, you know, these are these are our communities. These are our backyards. Matt Weaver, the who I interviewed on my podcast about two weeks ago, had a great line about this. He said, these rail lines, they're not running through the backyards of the rich suburbs. They're running through your backyard. They're running through your town. They're running through working class communities like uh, East Palestine, Ohio, right? And and so like all the while, 
that, um, you know, these trains that uh, because bought off politicians and corporate lobbyists are, you know, making the regulations such that corporate profits will always take precedence over public safety, let alone worker safety, because that whole sort of apparatus, that gross swamp like government apparatus is in place. Right. Because uh, workers themselves are, you know, hamstrung in the rail industry by a railway labor act that is designed. Yeah. to keep that or the rank and file from actually, you know, uh, taking industrial action, the level at which we need to see in this country, because um, Wall Street, I mean, like, the the look at the stocks for the for today for the class one railroads, they're up, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> they're up right now. And like I said, they're making record profits. Like, yeah. we look at this and we see a catastrophe that needs to be changed. They look at this and just see the cost of doing business. That is who we're dealing with here. They yeah. are sociopaths. They are evil. They will not just give us the system right. that we need. Which is why you're never going to get permission to strike. Um, Double K, I totally know that. I know that you get fired. I know what happened to that. And I think that if that happened across the whole country and we had a real national strike, let the, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Because shut the whole rail system down. You know, it's like you strike because the law is unjust. So you're not going to follow an unjust law that tells you not to strike. Like th that's sort of like my point. And yes, yeah. I understand that that's the law. And, and yes, that's the risk. I get it. And if there's well, and we and we just like the the railroads are like um, socializing the risk of their greedy practices. We can maybe turn, take a lesson from that. We can socialize the solidarity, right? We can yes. socialize the defense, right? Because this is what I was telling people in November um, to kind of just like bolster your point, Jen, um, because I look, we're all here. We're all concerned about this, right? So like, you know, if anyone's trying to like gotcha people right now, if we're not having a constructive discussion, then just then what are we doing, right? So like right. if we're trying to think about how to get out of this, right? I'll take it back to late November, when Biden scabbed Joe, uh, you know, urged Congress to uh, undercut the workers, um, force them to accept a contract that the majority of rail workers, um, you know, had voted down um, in the, the months preceding, by which I mean not the majority of unions, but the majority of workers, the membership, right? Because some of the largest unions voted against it. Anyway, so like, uh, Scab Joe and Congress forced workers to accept this deal, essentially making a strike illegal. And that strike was expected to happen. I think it was December 9th. And so a lot of people were asking me after that, are the workers going to go on a wildcat strike? They should go on a wildcat strike. Yeah. And my response was, yeah, that would be great. But there, there, first of all, there's a practical caveat. Um, there's no one picket line when it comes to railroads. These, these, they're rail terminals uh, out in the middle of nowhere, all over this, you know, country, right? And they're also, and these trains are all constantly moving. So there's no one centralized picket line for people to show up at, which already makes this uh, a very difficult situation to negotiate if we're just talking about the workers. But on top of that, as we mentioned, uh, there isn't just one workforce. They're the conductors. They're the engineers. They're the signalmen. They're the machinists. There are the dispatchers. These are all people who are operating in different parts of the rail system, not in the same part, right? right. You know, you will get a collection of them at the terminals, but you know, the, the maintenance of way guys may be like 10 miles or 100 miles out checking the track, yada, yada, yada. The, the philosophical point that I made to people was 
if we are asking workers to take that step, to 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 take the step that they know is illegal, that yeah. could lead to a situation like what Reagan did with the air traffic controllers where they could get fired um, or, you know, like they they could, you know, get charges pressed against them, right? I mean, like, if we're asking them to put that much on the line, that much and more, right? If they get fired, they lose their pension, right? We're asking them to take a big goddamn sacrifice for this. So we should think very long and hard what we're asking when we're asking why aren't workers going to go on a wildcat strike. And my response to them on top of that was, at this moment in time, why would they? How could they know if they can trust us the right. public, their their comrades, their neighbors, their fellow parishioners, right? The kid, we maybe we have kids who go to the same school. Are we going to be there for them when it counts? Are we going to be there on the picket line? Are we going to be there holding these companies accountable if they do fire these workers? Are we going to stay out as long as it needs to, as we need to, to put that pressure on? Because right now, I think we are building those muscles, but we haven't built them up enough yet. And the one example I would give is the war. Warrior met coal strike in in Brookwood, Alabama. Now it has the distinction of being the longest um, strike in Alabama history. Uh, it was 23 months that these workers were on strike. I hope folks listening to this have heard of that strike. It began. We had, on April we had them. We had one of the miners on the show. We talked with them. Yeah, no. So I was going to shout you guys out for for covering it, um, but like most media didn't. Most media, yeah. mainstream media especially, ignored these workers because it's a messy issue there. It's deep red Alabama. A lot of them are Republican. It's coal, which like is a complicated issue, especially when we all care about the climate. The, the thing to note there is that this is coal. The coal that they mine there is metallurgical coal. It's used to make steel. It's not used for, for energy production. So it's going to get mined out of the ground anyway. But the point is, is like beyond all that, these are human beings, a thousand human beings, our fellow workers who went out on the line on April 1st, 2021, and been holding that line for nearly two years straight, facing, like I said, just, you know, incredible odds, facing vicious union busting and retaliation from uh, the companies and so on and so forth. Where were we during those last 23 months? Where have we been, you know, to make sure that those workers can hold the line one day longer, one day stronger? Where were we when a court slapped an injunction on them limiting their ability to pick it? Maybe then if they can't do that, what if supporters from the community like, you know, like surround them and, and do the picketing for them or, or, you know, like donate to the strike funds, the strike pantry? Where are we when Starbucks blatantly, you know, flouts the law and just fires union organizers left and right for the flimsiest reasons, or they, they mess with people's schedules and they, they go from 40 hours a week to 15 hours a week, which if you go under 20 hours a week at Starbucks, you lose your eligibility for your healthcare, right? This, these are the ways that the bosses are turning the screws on the very people that we're all cheering on online, but we need to do more than that. We need yeah. to dig in deep and constantly be there. Not, we can't do everything, but if we want to see that rank and file revolt, especially in the railroads, I think what we need is a posse. We need to show the railroad workers that we as the communities that their trains run through, we as the communities who live side by side with the folks who make the railroads run are going to stand with them, just like 
union workers, non-union workers, community members need to be showing up to school board meetings to say, I support my teachers against these like vicious attacks that y'all are facing in your own state right now and across the country. Like just working people need to show up for each other, not because we're Democrats, not because we're Republicans, but because we are fellow workers. We are family. We are the ones who hold the world up. And we need to recognize that if in our collective, we have way more power than they do. They've just spent our entire lives trying to convince us that we don't, trying to convince us that we're more like them than we are like the people that we go to church with or the people we go to school with, the people that we see in the cafeteria, right? I mean, like we, the, the that I think is where we need to go. And, we, and I do think that we can get there, but it's important that we see ourselves as part of that same struggle, a working class struggle, not a a partisan point scoring thing. You know, like you'll never build a robust coalition that can change the world and save ourselves from planetary (laughs) destruction the way that we need to. If we're playing by those rules, we have to see each other as fellow human beings and be there for each other when it counts. That's the point of those rules is to keep us from doing that, actually. So the whole point of that system is to keep that from happening. Because as soon as people realize that those names and those labels and all those ists and those all of that was taken away, it's all of us against very few people. And, and if we actually saw that, if people really saw that for what it was, that would be very dangerous for those people in charge. There's so a, they can't see that. So that's why. There's a person that works as a lobbyist, uh, well, more of a consultant, if you will, here in the state of Florida, who I'm not going to say who it is, but I can assure you that if you saw the house that this person lives in, you'll <laughs> understand why it pays to basically be a rabble rouser and to divide and conquer. That's what works. And the same is true when you look at what just happened up the road from you in D.C. this previous weekend with the anti-war rally. Yes, the anti-war rally is a great idea and fully support it. But if you can't recognize that if you're going to have certain organizers and certain speakers, that it's going to turn people off from the greater mission. The fact that Medea Benjamin, who was told by Code Pink not to be involved, but still went there anyway, even though she wasn't speaking, that's a person who is about the mission, not about how can I get credit for this event. No. And so too often, and sort of like what we're looking at right now, it's like, well, we this is going to be bad for Republicans, or this is going to be bad for Democrats. So we can't really talk about it that way. It's like Governor DeWine and President Biden are equally as guilty because they're both co-opted by Norfolk Southern. Both party infrastructures are co-opted by them. Here's my big question that still isn't getting answered. This event took place a month ago, basically a month ago, and there has been no federal aid sent to East Palestine. Why is that? Why can't they allocate several million dollars to deal with the cleanup at the very well, least. Well, that's what I understand. Like, why would you not have, isn't that one of the purposes of groups like the National Guard? Like, isn't this the point of those organizations when there's not, disasters? You know, I don't I don't understand how they're not doing anything. You know, it's amazing. We hear all the time about how there are immigrants at the border and we have to shelter them. How about the people that are living within a 50 mile radius of where this happened and making sure that where they live is safe or that if they have to be displaced for a few months. I am talking about the priorities. We're not taking care of these people. We're not making sure that they're housed somewhere, that they're safe, at least until the cleanup can be dealt with. Let's say it's a few months. But the fact that they're not doing anything and on top of everything else, they're telling them that's fine. No big deal. I don't understand this mindset. 
how is it that there is nothing being done? That to me is really scary, Max. Well, what I can say in immediate response to the final question is that like this, and this is Buttigieg's thing, right? Is because he's saying there are things being done. It's just like, like the, the, the removal of the contaminated soil and water, like that's happening. Um, they're, they're just not making a big deal about it. And I think we just got, um, the news. What was it yesterday that Norfolk Southern is, is allegedly going to have to pay for that, you know, like restoration process. Well, again, as someone who talks to coal miners and people in West Virginia and Kentucky, right, where you've had other sort of like disastrous environmental uh, pollution from companies that uh, went bankrupt, look at Black uh, Black Jewel, right? I mean, like they went bankrupt and, and kind of like got out of their obligations to the community that they poisoned, right? I mean, this happens all over the goddamn place, sadly. That's that's my answer is like, uh, like on the government side, my understanding is like there are some things being done. The EPA is there doing its tests. The the Surface Transportation Board is, you know, like doing its investigation. It released its initial report. It's going to release a longer report in a couple months. Like, so those things are happening. And that's what Buttigieg is trying to say. It's like, oh, we are working. We're just not making a big stink about it. It's like, well, A, you know, we need to know more about what is being done because uh, just knowing you, Pete, like I don't, I mean, Pete, like just knowing you, I'm going to kind of go out on a limb here and say that you're not doing enough. Um, But on top of that, like who is going to be watching Norfolk Southern in their, you know, cleanup and making sure that they actually do it right, that they actually pay what they have to pay. A lot of unanswered questions there on in, in the larger sense. Um, my answer, I think, would be kind of like they don't want us like looking closer at this because the more that we do, the more we realize that this is not an aberration. This exactly. Not, East Palestine, sadly, I mean, like it's going to be written in blood in our history books. This is going to be a black stain on our history in in ways that Flint, Michigan are because of the immediate damage to the people, to the community, to the environment, but also because of all the rotten things that it represents, right? And sadly, that rot extends all across this country, right? We mentioned already the poisoning of poor and working people, predominantly, you know, black and brown people in Flint. But I mean, this type of poisoning happens in white rural communities as well, yeah. right? The well water in in and around East Palestine, I mean, that's all poison now, <laughs> just like the well water in white rural Wisconsin, where I was reporting two years ago, is being poisoned by um, massive hog factories, right? Industrial it's hog factories though. that are that have gobbled up more and more of the rural landscape that have essentially oh, yeah. de- demolished the independent family farm, right? So this is happening in rural America too, that same corporate profit mindset that has that is leading to, you know, just the 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 destruction of the environment. The communities that I was reporting on in Wisconsin are just next to major waterways uh, like East Palestine is. There, a lot of them do have well water systems instead of, you know, like uh, like running tap water like we do. Um, and those wells, if they get poisoned by That's the it. runoff. How do you come back? from like to me it can't really it's not something that can really be remedied and I certainly am not going to trust them saying it is but I wanted to like can we switch gears for one second and I can I ask you something about 
what the F with the migrant unaccompanied minors and what it, what in the, like, am I hallucinating that I just heard that there's a whole bunch of companies that have been violating child labor laws? Like just like no big deal. You were not hallucinating. Because I I could have sworn that that was something that we dealt with a long time ago. Like, I really recall dealing with that somehow. Mm -hmm. Like, I I read that somewhere. So what is this? How is this happening, like, so easily? I mean, like, so I would say, like, I would point people first to um, great reporting that's been done at outlets like the Valley Labor Report. Because there there was a a story that broke in Alabama couple months ago, I think it was, was it Hyundai, um, you know, that got caught. Uh, don't quote me on that. I know it was an auto manufacturer, but like they got caught, you know, using uh, child labor in dangerous circumstances. Um, and so the Valley Labor Report definitely did a great uh, breakdown of that on their YouTube channel, their radio show. You guys should check that out. But then after that, you started to see like these other revelations come out and it's like oh oh this isn't just happening in one place like this is happening all over the place and then at the same time the same ghouls who have been on uh you know the 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 chamber of commerce bootlickers the business class lovers right or the bosses themselves right and their political buddies these are the people who have been on you know corporate media nonstop for years for the past two years saying no one wants to work uh if we give people like you know the give people the 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 essential aid that they need to survive COVID-19 it's going to make them lazy yada 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 these are the same people who are now saying that like because quote no one wants to work because we have a quote labor shortage instead of raising wages instead of i don't know you know like ensuring that working people have the standard of living that they need to live comfortable dignified lives guaranteeing health care housing all the basic necessities instead of addressing the real systemic issues that working people are facing every single day what our great ruling establishment has come up with is no let's roll back labor laws so that we we can hire children to fill those gaps I, right? I or let's that. let's extend the retirement age so people can die without ever knowing rest in this country like this is how again these people think this is how little they think of us they don't care about our lives they don't yeah. care about our bodies breaking down they don't even care about our children being I want these into people these to be prosecuted for this Like people need to be prosecuted for this. But, you know, I wonder if it has something to do. Look, I'm sure there is whatever disgusting legal qualification for the fact that they're unaccompanied minors that somehow probably doesn't qualify them as getting some sort of rights. I don't even want to know what the details of that says. But like these people need to be prosecuted for this. I want to like and this isn't just one company. This is a this this is like affects a whole bunch of different companies, from what I understand, that are now. Uh, having, and I think Whole Foods was one of them, by the way. Uh, And Whole Foods, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that doesn't surprise me in the least bit with that piece of shit. So Mm -hmm. it's like, these people need to be being prosecuted for this. Well, and like, again, kind of going to the, the, the previous answer where I was like, I don't think they want us looking at this because the more you look at it, the more you see that this is, um, this is the rule, not the exception. Right. And I would give a similar answer to this here. Right. Um, because, you know, I don't want to go all, you know, galaxy brain lefty on you guys, but I think oh. it's important for us to, to actually sit and acknowledge the fact that this is, 
This is capitalism. This is what yeah. it does. It's not just that it's happening in workplaces around the U.S. We all know what I'm about to say. We just try to forget it every day of the week. Your phone is made with minerals that are mined by children. Oh. Your clothes are made, um, you know, by contractors, you know, who work, you know, who, are, who, who do shipment orders and produce a lot of the stuff that we depend on in, you know, sweatshops around the world that use child labor, right? I mean, like you mentioned Whole Foods. Whole Foods uses prison there labor. Is. Slavery is still legal in the United States if you are incarcerated. My, I mentioned that because my comrade, my mentor, my brother, uh, our colleague at The Real News, Eddie Conway, who himself was a uh, Baltimore Black Panther framed by COINTELPRO, wrongfully imprisoned for 44 years of his life and managed to still organize while in prison. He organized a labor union there. He never gave up. He got released in 2014. He's an incredible human being, a giant among all of us. He passed away this month. We held his memorial service this past weekend. Eddie was constantly underlining this for people. He was really informing my labor coverage as well, where he was like it's not just that bosses are trying to pay as little as they can for workers in this country you know like citizen workers who can still get minimum wage below that you have the tiers of of exploitable undocumented workers sex workers informal workers house uh, you know uh, 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 domestic workers also many of them immigrants and women like people who can be hyper exploited farm workers who you know are hyper exploited so you have that layer as well that our consumer comforts are premised upon the hyper exploitation of underserved underrepresented workers but then you go even a layer deeper and you realize that the bedrock of the whole system is slave labor. There are companies all across this country that use unpaid or barely paid slave labor out of prisons because they can, because yeah. that's what the 13th Amendment allows us to do. And of course, we know that you know a lot of our economy was built on the backs of slave labor. So I just mentioned all that to you guys to say that like, you can't just sort of tweak the knobs on this problem and think that like the fundamental dynamics of exploitation, the dynamics of profit seeking, of rent seeking, the dynamics of ruling class control that are thoroughly woven into the fabric of what our society is. You're not just going to sort of fix that with one regulation or another. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try. That doesn't mean we don't fight the fights where we are, when we happen to, you know, wherever we happen to be, but we need to not kill ourselves not have a sort of uh, uh uh you know like mindset that only lets us see one side of the problem that doesn't let us connect the issues we're talking about here to the struggles of you know yeah working or enslaved you know like or merely enslaved children you know who provide a lot of the labor for a lot of the products and services that we depend on, yada, yada, yada. Because the more that we can see that system and see ourselves in it, the more that I think we will start to see a way out. And that's this is the point I wanted to end on. I know, thank you for letting me talk all this time. No, I, I love everyone it. Watching. It was useful, but I wanted to end on a hopeful note. I would say to folks who are watching this, um, go listen to the latest episode of the podcast that, uh, of my podcast that we publish. It's called Working People. The latest episode is one that I've been wanting to do for a long time and I finally made it happen where I had rail workers from the United States, the United Kingdom and France all on the same call 
talking wow. about their respective struggles. Like I said, the strikes are happening in the UK, France. There's a general strike going on right there's now. A huge strike in Germany, just uh, or, or an anti. Well, there was the anti-war rally in Germany, but Europe knows how to. They know how to protest. They know how to get shit done. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have a real social safety net, which we do not have. So you just had States. all of them in one place at one time. I did. So like I was able to get them all on and we could see how the how the struggles that we're fighting in our respective countries are so thoroughly connected. Mm -hmm. Right. Because uh, France is fighting to save its beloved pension system because it the, the French workers and working people of France fundamentally believe that there's more to life than work, that working people should not just be able to retire, but they should be able to retire at an age when they can enjoy their retirement and live comfortably and actually, you know, like do the things that make life worth living instead of just, you know, having maybe two years of retirement on like meager social security and then dying with, you know, like very little left, right? They are fighting that fight uh, because President Emmanuel Macron is once again trying to revamp the country's pension system. And the biggest cheerleaders of this are is BlackRock. BlackRock, like one of the one of the, if not the largest investment holder in the world, you know who the number one investor uh, or shareholder is at Warrior Met Coal? BlackRock, right? You know, what I mean, these guys are fucking everywhere. They are the, the the shareholder Wall Street mindset. You know, they have their tendrils and everything. The 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 whatever we want to call them, the ruling class, the one percent. I mean, like the people at the top, they are very much working on an international level. And we could and it was great to hear that come out in the panel with all these rail workers. And we were starting to see how we're fighting, you know, different battles in the same war. And in fact, we're fighting many of the same enemies, but also we realized in throughout the course of the conversation how essential it is to express that international solidarity, right? To 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 link these struggles together. That's wow. what really terrifies uh, and puts fear in the heart of the bosses of the order giving class, as Professor Rick Wolf would would say. So that's what I would end on. If you want some, if you're mad, but you want some, also want some inspiration, you want to channel it in a productive way, go check out those workers talking to each other across the Atlantic, feel the solidarity, do something with it. And don't just let, let, let the Norfolk Southern, don't just let Pete Buttigieg, don't let Trump, don't let any of these pieces of shit sweep this under the rug and, and, and let these issues go unaddressed. Listen to workers. They know what to do. Um, and if you, and we got hours and hours of interviews with them published at the real news, if you want to take advantage of it. Thank Max. you. No, I love having you on. It's so informative. You know, I'm telling, like, I knew you would know the answer, but I, like, it's just awful to me. The whole thing is awful. I, I'm just, I, it's very upsetting. But anyway. Yeah, but that's why we have to keep having these conversations and building these necessary bridges. I feel and furious and want people to be like sued. That's what I want. I yeah. feel like my lawyer is coming out. I can't help myself. I can't, <laughs> I, I cannot help myself. Your rage is, is appreciated. It made me, it made me, it was cathartic for me. Really good, because I feel like I see criminal liability, I see civil liability, like I'm just seeing it. If only we had a representative on Capitol Hill that was willing to fight like that for workers, because right now, other than Bernie, oh, I would. even that it's technically speaking, I, you know, we don't see it. And I have zero the, fucks to give. And that's the hardest reality, because a whole bunch of the progressives, if you will, including AOC and Maxwell Frost, were just over in Japan, and they were lauding the fact 
that they have high speed rail and that they have these basic necessities. I'm thinking, wow, maybe if you just fought really hard. These are all the same people that got on board with fucking the railroad workers. So it's just you have to you have to make a choice. Like you got to make a choice. Either you want to be in the club or you want to be a, a movement, a moving shaker for the people. If you are willing to do that, then it's still going to be very hard to knock you out of Congress. I am sure that there have been many of people over the years that have served that they have tried knocking out of Congress that they just simply couldn't do because they the were popular. people love them too it much. It happens sometimes. So Max, tell me, I you know I read your book. I read it cover to cover. And I know it has to do with work living, but say it, and I don't have it with me, but I wanted to show you, this is the uh, author we're having on Wednesday. And this is a really good book that I'm reading that I thought you might appreciate. Oh, hell yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's really interesting. He's looking at like the overall health of the country. We're not healthy, Max. I'm sure. You I was, was going to say, I feel like I know, <laughs> I don't want to spoil it, but I feel like I know what oh, he's yes, going to say. That. Guys, Max's book is really good. It really is. And it's just really, and it's an easy read in that each chapter is a different worker and different circ- I don't know. It was really good. I really liked it a lot. Thanks, Jen. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So the, the work of living. Uh, if folks want to check it out. Yeah, guys, do so. Thank you so much. If you're not currently subscribed to the Real News Network, do make so. sure that you are. Also, make sure you are subscribed to Breaking Points. Max has appearances on there, I believe, like once a month or once every other month. But very yeah, it's important. about once a month by now. Yeah. Very important stories that are being covered. Yeah. Thank you to Crystal and Soccer for having on Max. Obviously, with their platform, it helps get these stories out there. For sure. And a shout out to obviously everyone who is in East Palestine oh, right now, I, covering what is going on. Any of the on the ground people there. Good. Thank led you. By, led by our friends, of course, at Status Quo News and More Perfect Union. They are doing an amazing job. Yeah. And of course, Max Thank cannot you say so enough much. great words about what you're doing. And obviously, we'll as, always as, have you back. As, sa- as sad as this is to say, I'm sure we will have you back again soon yes. for another unfortunate uh, I, I episode know. in capitalism on a muck in America. Yeah. Well, this, this is why I love the Festivus episodes, because then I'm like, oh, at least we're not here to talk about a horrific disaster. Right? Well, no, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what. We I'll do tell you, our grievances, well, I'll, I'll and I've you, got some grievances. I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, we're probably going to do a live stream for my 40th, which is May 6th. Uh, so depending on your schedule, we're going to have a whole bunch of guests. We hope you'll be one of them. Absolutely. And we'll definitely be in touch on that. Hell yeah. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Max. Thanks so Good much. See you, brother. Bye. Bye, guys. You know, there's always certain people that are so, so informative to me. And he is one of those people, him and Margaret and like Harvey. And like, there's just certain people that no matter how many times I talk, I always learn something. That's definitely one of the most informative panels I think we ever did was that combination. That was great. That was like all like some of my smartest people. And Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. It was was, a great combination. Definitely do that again. But, and Max guys, seriously, his book, the work of living is really, it was really good. I really, really liked it. Like I read a lot. But so anyways, Wednesday, we're having Dr. Steven Bezrushka. And this book is really good, guys. It's inequality kills us all. And it really does. So it's there's it's somewhat sad information, but I think really important. And the only way we can ever deal with these problems is to kind of learn about them. So he's going to be on Wednesday um, talking about that nine o'clock. Anything else? Mansell West, uh, welcome to our podcast. Uh, Obviously, we're happy to have you. Uh, you're definitely on the 
conservative side, which is perfectly fine. No, I don't. Uh, see, here's the thing. What you maybe perceive as government regulating business, or I think I saw Metalopoly saying that, I, it isn't so much that I think that I want the government regulating people's businesses. I want the government protecting its citizens from those businesses. You have to okay? remember, That's there's a significant difference between small business and big business. Yeah, these We're are huge proponents of small businesses, care. entrepreneurship. This what is you different. have here is the exploitative element of capitalism that has been unchecked for a very, very the, and this long is time. a system that is our national rail system. Like, right. like th this is something that affects everybody in all states, and it affects our whole like it's everything. And like that's why they know that if they were to strike, it would shut the whole country down. So I don't necessarily yeah. think. Um, and when you're talking about child labor stuff, like yeah. I don't necessarily care so much about telling that business what to do as much as I care about my government protecting that child. So I understand that you don't necessarily like the idea of telling businesses, no, you can't work young children. Um, I, I appreciate the, the complete laissez-faire uh, you know, concept, uh, but that doesn't work for me. And I'll give you a great example. When you talk about government overreach, because of these corporate special interest mega corporations, if you will, that have completely captured our government, a great example would be, in my opinion, the worst major corporation of all, which is Walmart. And so what are they able to get away with? They're able to get away with paying a slave wage and requiring their workers to get on welfare. Right, we means, pay for them. means make the government bigger so that workers are dependent, so that the shareholders get fatter and have their dividends as high We're as We're subsidizing possible. them. We are subsidizing So it's them. socialism for them. So. You know what? Also, McDonald's is another one. Yeah. McDonald's is a place, Oof. and I know down here, um, one of the things that when people go and apply and they go to work at McDonald's, when you go to fill out your employee, employee forms, they give you the form to get, um, to, well, it's the, um, snap, it's the food assistant. That's it's the like, same thing they do okay, at Walmart. Cool so the fact that it's, oh, that there can be businesses that are essentially saying, we know we don't pay you a living wage. So here's government assistance forms. That's absurd that that even exists to me. Metalopoly, at the bare minimum, at the bare minimum, Not for necessities. you need a hybrid system, equal parts capitalism and socialism. I wish, okay, let's stop using the isms and talk about the reality sure. is that certain industries cannot be for profit and have a functioning civilization. Mansa, they buy off the government. That's how this works. They buy it off. They buy off the politicians. The corporations already own and the government. And they don't give a damn what party it is. The only way a corporation will get as much power as they have is with the help of the government. They own the government. If you need any <laughs> more proof point. of just how much this game is so easy to see, Norfolk Southern are major campaign donors for the RNC and the DNC. It doesn't matter. That's it. Six and one happened on the other. So when everyone's out here fighting about these woke issues, trust me, the people at the heads of these corporations, they are laughing all the way and, to the And bank. the thing is, is that the government doesn't exist to protect businesses. The government exists to protect our rights from being violated. Not That's anymore. the point. Well, no, I understand that. But like, you don't want 
Carrie's right. Well, yes, they are. That's that, of course, is the predicament where I'm saying the implosion of the world by capitalism is what's happening because it went unfettered and unchecked. Certain necessities cannot be for profit. Here's another stupid argument, unfortunately, Metalopoly. Uh-uh. I have to give it to you because what you have to understand is that in food deserts, That's not how in that parts works. of the. Let me give you a good example that no one even talks about. I only notice this because I go to a lot of networking Wrong. events out in Fort Lauderdale and up in Palm Beach County. We need to get Linda So, what on, yeah. I can tell you is that if you drive Sunrise Boulevard, which is the main throughway to get to Fort Lauderdale, what you will notice when you get to the ghetto is that they have by far the most expensive gasoline anywhere in the county. And I ain't talking about 20 cents more. I'm talking $2 more. And these are people who can't afford to live. So let's screw them harder. And where do you think this comes from? This comes from mega corporations buying the government. They are one and the same. There is not this, oh, the government's bad. Yeah, the government's bad, but it's bad because of this. The government... It's supposed it's to work crazy. for us. It's going to stroke. It's supposed to work for us. It's supposed to protect us. Correct. Well, and, and this is the thing. Like, the government is supposed to not inhibit our rights. That's why I don't support bans and mandates. You're still not getting it. You still are not putting two and two together. You're like, corporations cannot force you to do anything. All do you the time. not understand how these corporations buy off local industry and that small business local, owners cannot industry. ever, can, they can't survive? Well, I don't understand. He they, thinks but, that they're two separate please, things. So when you're dealing with these local infrastructures, state infrastructures, all of these problems, when a mega corporation buys off the government, they can basically bottom out their prices to screw competition. They're, they can exploit work. Who do you think exploits workers in Mexico, in China, in Thailand, in Indonesia? Where do you think it happens? It happens because of the corporate capture of our government. It has nothing that the government could work for us. We need to have Linda on and talk about the the deal with the McDonald's workers because it is not entry level jobs. These are people that are working to survive. That is the truth. And there are many people that work at McDonald's that are not. You're not getting it. The government is corrupt, but there's a reason why it's corrupt. Because it's bought. Because it's bought. (laughs) That's why. It's one and the same. We support entrepreneurs. We support small business owners. I'm in commercial real estate. And I can tell you the biggest problem in real estate is mega corporations like BlackRock that go up and buy up entire communities here in Florida. You want to know why rent's so out of control? Because they own so much of the real estate and no one is stopping them. There are no regulations. Let me tell you, when DeSantis gets to the main stage, this is what I would hit him on. I'd hit them right on this, but you know why it's not going to happen? Because they're all bought by the same effing people. Because they're going to go with they're going to go with um, social issues. They're going to go with culture worship. That's how they think they're going to win. Now, if there was a Bernie Sanders, it won't work. By the way, hey Danny, if there was a Bernie Sanders type candidate that was running against the DeSantis, Hi, they would point that out. But that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen here is you're going to either get Joe or you're going to get another crazy primary, which is going to end up with somebody like a Gavin Newsom being the nominee. And you're still going to get the same problem. Uh, there's not going to be a primary, I don't, but I don't think somebody like Gavin Newsom would challenge Joe. I'm saying if Joe ultimately didn't run bows out oh, okay. or whatever happens, I'm right. just saying anything can happen. Not likely, but I'm just I saying. think if there wasn't Joe, then the only yeah. thing I can, the only thing I only person I could think of would be Gavin Newsom. Like I, and again, yeah. it's not a good pick. It's it's just it's basically which Democrat do you want to lose the like lose badly? Who do you want to be the face of the embarrassment that will be twenty twenty four for the Democrats? Who do you want to be that face? That's what I. I mean, that's what it's going to come down. Metalopoly. We've been saying it all night. Or are you guys just not listening? We need a robust labor movement outside of Correct. politics. 
to take this machine down. Right. It's it the is. only way. Yeah. There is no other way. It has to come from labor. It has to come from the outside. And it has to be forced upon the people on the inside. You know who supports a robust labor movement but can't stand unions? Tucker Carlson. And you know how I know that? Because he said it in an interview with Chris Smalls. And that's all I need to know. Yeah, unions are corrupt. And so are mega corporations. And so is our And that doesn't mean that, but, but right now that's the avenues that we have. That's what we're dealing with. So we have to like, we have to resist as much as possible. I mean, I don't know what else there, you can't just say, oh, it's, it, otherwise, what do you do? Just nothing. What's amazing to me is also this idea that you guys, and listen, I respect everybody and their convictions because I do believe that our conservatives that come on our show and just conservatives in general, I believe that they really believe what they're saying. Like they believe in that concept that it's just the government that's corrupt. Businesses are not able to do what they want to do, et cetera, et cetera. Have you ever walked around the National Mall? Have you ever walked around the perimeter that surrounds the U.S. Capitol, which is basically about two miles? I guarantee you, if you're walking that street and you see all of those older, gray-haired gentlemen in their suits, you know what their profession is, right? They're all lobbyists. Corporate lobbyists. They're all corporate. They're all That's whores. They Bunch of whores. You don't have around. lobbyists, if you will, that are working on behalf of the people. And yet people have a problem with sex workers. I infinitely prefer sex workers to lobbyists. I actually- Lobby for sex and workers. And I would absolutely lobby for sex workers. And you know what else? They, um, they just had the first, the strippers at that club just unionized in California. It's like the first- um, it's like the first unionized um, dance club or exotic. Dance. I mean, I don't know what the preferred nomenclature is. I'm don't don't. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm all for anything that consenting adults want to do, but they just unionized, and I totally support that. I support all sort. I support sex workers who are consenting age. I'm all for that. Do what you want. That's a libertarian yeah. in me. And again, there is a lot live. of crossover in a lot of areas, but you guys- It makes me sad that people want to do that though, by the way. Just something as simple as if you want to talk about shrinking the government and corporate subsidies, just end them. Right. Like you we don't need to be subsidizing Jeff Bezos and his giant yeah. flying penis. We just don't. End corporate subsidies, which makes up about- I think 25% of our tax. How about just, how, deal, how about properly taxing corporations? Yeah. How about raising the top marginal tax? There's a lot of things that can be done. And what we're right. learning about, what I'm learning about in this book, guys, mm -hmm. the reason we are like 51st health level country, we're bad. Oh, like we're it's bad. way worse than I even thought it was. It really is. The reason that we're that bad, it isn't because we don't have healthcare. That is a problem. I will say that's a problem. It's our, in our, Wealth inequality in this country is why our health, why our health in this country is so bad. It isn't that there's poverty and it isn't that there isn't access to health care. It isn't those things. It's it's the in, in inequality that is actually killing us. And this book is it's really fascinating to me and yet not surprising. And we're going to talk all about it. I'm actually really looking forward to it. You know, guys, I take my notes. I have tabs. <laughs> But it's very, it's very interesting. And this is stuff that actually starts in utero. This actually starts in utero. And I find it all like the inequality in different communities and different stuff. And it just generation after generation of inequality. I'm going to give you guys an example of why the system is broken. And broken or fixed. We have been many generations as to what we've gone through previously, but state feds investigate reports of child labor in West Michigan. Michigan's a blue state with a Democratic governor, but yet this is going on. 
And whenever, and by the way, and I'm going to quote Dr. Phil, for every route you see, there's 50 you don't. So, and that's how I feel about East Palestine. I do think that probably happens a lot more and we just don't know. A New York Times investigation detailing migrant child labor in I, West Michigan. I just can't. Facilities spurred state and federal investigations Monday. The Times found that automotive suppliers and a food contractor in the Grand Rapids area are illegally employing migrant children in jobs that can include dangerous conditions and long hours, you know, aside from the fact that they're children. Here's but, a crazy idea. Yeah. What if, what if we, I don't know, provided them with housing and education at this age? You're asking for too much. Producing goods used by Ford I'm Motor like Company, livid. General Motors, and General Mills. Hey, somebody's got to fill those cereal boxes. The I can't even. The West Michigan cases are in part of a national pattern. National pattern, like you said, for every rat you see, there's about 50 you can't see. I, of a national pattern of children who migrate to the U.S. and find themselves working exhausting welcome jobs. Welcome to America. Often trapped in debt for smuggling fees and living expenses. But this is the government that's doing this. No, this is mega corporations that bought the government so they don't get prosecuted for doing it. That's what it is. I honestly feel like, honestly, this kind of makes me feel like I could kill people. The system is enabled by a chain of willful ignorance, including companies that fail to properly screen employees, schools that don't report labor violations, and little follow-up from federal agencies responsible for ensuring their safety. It's all connected, all of it. There isn't just, there isn't, oh, if we just eliminated the government, businesses will flourish and we'll have no problems. Right. It's there. It's, this is not a, we need less regulation situation. It's not like we just get rid of big business and the government will be benevolent and will take good care of us. No, that ain't it either. See, why aren't we just feeding and housing and, and educating these people? I'm, I'm just, I'm beside myself. These are people's children that, that are, that are like stuck in, I don't even want to know where these people are stuck and their children are shipped across the country to go work in a factory. The department of labor I'm, also I'm said it had launched myself. an investigation into hearth side or hearth side, hearth side food solutions, a food processing company, by the way, don't eat processed food if you can avoid it. Uh, with locations in Grand Rapids that produce chewy and natural val Nature Valley, Valley granola, granola bars. bars and package Lucky Charms and Cheetos. Ugh, I don't eat that crap. Surprise. And which was found <laughs> to employ migrant children. Oh. I'm mad as hell. A freshman Democrat, Hillary Shelton. I don't know. Uh, representing Grand Rapids in Congress. She calls upon the agencies to seek a task force that uh, that day on the House floor. By the way, I think I figured out what story I'm going to write. I am going to write a story about Alyssa uh, Slotkin, who is a congressional representative in Michigan, who is now, because of Debbie Stabenow, who is retiring, has decided that now it's her turn, so she's going to get in and run for the U.S. Senate. But what I'm going to prove to each and every one of you is that if you think Kirsten Cinema is an enigma, she isn't, because Slotkin will be the next cinema if she gets in. Great. We need more of that. If the companies themselves are not going to voluntarily follow the law, we need to make sure the agencies responsible for both enforcing those laws and keeping these kids protected are doing everything they possibly can. Well, let's see. You had control of Congress for two years and you did no such thing. This is not a Charles you Dickens. You didn't Upton do anything. Clearly it is. Clearly it is a Charles Dickens or Upton Sinclair novel. That I, Clearly we do have that. But uh, you know what? I want to say something about what Max said, which is really extremely 
very true for me, is that just because things aren't happening in this country doesn't make them not be happening. And the fact is, like, my heart breaks for kids that are in places like Yemen or Haiti or places anywhere in the world where kids just are not getting things that they need. Like, that's it's just horrifying to me and where kids are being abused. And it isn't just here. And I know that. And I know that. And I just it, it just I feel like even the fact that it could happen here is just it's crazy to me. 13 years old. There has been an increase, a 69% increase in children illegally working at U.S. companies since 2018, the Labor Department said. The agency said it has 600 child labor investigations underway and found 835 companies in the last fiscal year alone that violated labor laws employing more than 30. But okay, so here's what I don't understand. So when you're saying illegally, so when they're okay, they're going to go after them. They're investigating them. All that's going to happen is they're going to get fined and slapped on the wrist. These people need to be in prison. Yeah. This is like this is not. You want to recall a governor? Recall recall Gretchen Whitmer. Let's see how that goes. I want to do a lot of things right now. Honestly, this is really the fact that you know that this is going on under your thumb, and there are people who still think that this is a red versus blue fight, and that that's what the problem is. Not even close. Oh my god. The report names several children working in such jobs and is based on interviews with more than 100 migrant children workers. These are these are kids fleeing poverty in Central America. Yeah, so let's take advantage of them. And why do you think this is happening? I'm I'm, 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 I'm going to and this is going to and you know what? That's it for the article. This brings it back full circle. I can. I'm starting to, to what get we've irate. Been saying the entire time, which we've been saying the entire time. What have we been saying? This is all interconnected to labor. You have a labor uprising that is happening in the United States right now because people are recognizing that they're worth more than they're given, which is true. We have so many problems. So what's the so, so what's the solution? The solution is we are not going to pay you anything. We are going to bring in migrants to this country and we're going to include children in that equation and we're going to put them to work. And guess what? We are going to pay them slave wage. And nothing's going to happen to us. Nothing. No, they'll get like some sort of slap on the wrist. They'll get some. That's what you'll get. Well, and, you know, all of it between that and the prison, the prison labor thing, which, by the way, it's slavery. It's just slavery. It really it's slavery. I I, like we we still have not abolished slavery in this country. I'm just monopoly. Again, you're looking at it from the perspective of. You're not going to the source. The only reason cartels exist is because we have illegal narcotics in this country when they should all be decriminalized and legalized. And let's not forget what we've done to totally disrupt those governments over the past however many 50 so plus years. What we've done in those places, like if somebody wants to use their own natural resources and we don't like that, then we, of course, have to stage a coup and get rid of that leader and put somebody in. That kind of unrest causes problems. And then the reality is we like those drug cartels there. We like that there. That's how we do business. You're right. I know. You know what's it? Back in the day when they were doing the Iran-Contra hearings, my dad actually did a deposition. My dad is a court reporter and he was actually in a deposition um, and it was something having to do, I mean, it was like really very, a very specific portion of that case. And absolutely, 
we purposefully bring in the drugs from those places. Like this is all very coordinated and calculated and it, none of this is, a, so those cartels are courtesy of us. That's how that works. Metalopoly, you're sounding very, very ignorant now. Stop. That is not what happened. What do you mean? When you get, when yeah. you, no, what I'm saying is when you, when you oh, get bad, when, when you get synthetic drugs on the street, what do you think is out there? Also, for you a second, I thought it was, I thought it said Portugal because actually, no. no, because it actually has worked out amazingly well in Portugal. And I recognize we're not Portugal and it isn't about legalization. It's about decriminalization. And it isn't that that's not a criminal issue because it's a healthcare issue. And the fact that we, and the fact that we do not have, uh, you know, just a, a decriminalization across the board. The fact that and, talk about government overreach and get and, out of uh, my person, get out of my person, Danny. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Uh, you're not you're not addressing the clear issue here. It's like if you're going to pass a cannabis legalization law, and let's say I believe you said you're in North Carolina, South Carolina. I mean, South Carolina is probably the most anti-worker state in the whole country. So try understanding, you know. Go talk to people who live well, in Well, I can Carolina. tell you that I could probably tell you there's a very easy history behind that. And you know what? We need Margaret to come on. But I yeah. have this feel. The reason that that is is completely connected to the demographic makeup of that state and keeping people down. Without naming any names, whoever's running for president in and South Carolina being the first state in the Democratic primary, it might be wise to talk about the fact that South Carolina is the most anti-worker state in America. Let's put that front and center. And then have the Democratic Party defend it. Hey. Again, they won't even bring up the PRO Act. Like, what happened with that, Joe? Didn't Joe campaign about the PRO Act? My God, you're asking me to remember what I campaigned Well, I mean, no, I'm I'm asking me to remember. I'm pretty sure he I'm pretty sure he campaigned on the PRO Act, didn't he? This country's going to hell. Country's going to hell. (laughs) The country's going to hell, Joe. You're leading it in a very bad way. Oh, good God. We need a lot of help. Oh, we need help. I am not in any position whatsoever to do it myself. You can't even keep your head up. I can't. I'm getting (laughs) tired. Keep your head up. It's still raised. You're sundowning, Joe. You're sundowning. I have told the American people that we're going to get in the way of progress. Nothing will fundamentally change as long as I'm. We've, we've, I get that. Thanks for that. Thanks for the, thanks for the the crushing the railroad workers. That was really brilliant. I'm the Zoom commander. It's, it's, it's class warfare, man, but I'm not on your side. No, I know. So don't look for me for help. I wouldn't look to anybody representing the state of Delaware to help me with anything you against corporations. I, I, the American people get a break. I'm looking to avoid a break. Uh, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I don't even know. Like you, you're. But, the, <laughs> but, but I can, I can assure you that it's only going to get better because what the American people understand is that they got to vote for me again. No one's voting for you again, Joe. No, I, well. I'm not. Have a. I can't, I honestly, voting for you the last time is something I'll regret forever. I guess I'm just Just going to have to not try harder. I will regret that forever. Yeah. Yeah. Not trying harder. That's the way to go. That's the way to go. Yeah. Because there's, honestly. Good luck to all of you because you're going to need it. Yeah, we are. Because I, there is no chance I will vote for that man again. 
Honestly, the only thing, the only thing I can think of where I might then say, all right, all right, is if he pardoned like the people that need to be pardoned. Like if he, you know, everything having to do with Peltier and, and Snowden and Assange, and if he handled all that, then I no, might I'm consider. Just, I'm, I'm convinced. But otherwise, no, there's no universe where I'm voting I'm convinced more and more every day that, uh, that he's not actually making decisions. He does try to sniff my hair. He's so gross. Mm. Jen, but we're in a very, very bad place. Uh, but that's why, again, it's not, it's not that we are trying to be depressing in our content. It's that no. it's necessary to talk about these things because if we don't, we're never going to get galvanized and recognize that this isn't about East versus West. This isn't about how do I beat red versus blue? No. This is about how do workers come together and recognize that we've only got each other. And it is honestly, it's also on a political, from a political standpoint of really our goal is to get the corporate money out of our system. That's what we're really trying to do here is chip away at the corporatism. And I don't care whether people are left or right or they're Republicans or Democrats. If you have fair representation, then ultimately things go the direction that the majority of people want. That's called a functioning republic. I'm in favor of yeah. it. If my opinion happens to be in the minority, then that's I got to live with other people's positions. But right now, the majority are being ruled by a minority. And that's what I have a problem with. So we're trying to like fix that. And the way to do that is to get the corporate whoredom out of our government. And last thing I'd like to mention before we go, uh, to the liberal resistors out there who think, love you, Double K, which, this? Would it be possible to have a short q &A? Danny, you did chip in 20. I got to give you what you All right. You know what? This is sort of like, you know, like, you know what you do? You perform like those girls from the peep shows. Like my uncle used to have that place in the tenderloin where the, he had the live girls and you put the money in and the screen goes up. No, but it's like he'll perform for money. He love, will, you, love you, Double K. He will absolutely perform hey, for Metalopoly, money. Hey, Metalopoly, you know what? You believe in... You believe in capitalism? Throw us where's a few your, bucks. What's your contribution for our entertainment? We entertain you. Okay, but you. now in all fairness, we do not know. You're freeloading on our show. <laughs> That's socialism. Yeah. I've decided I'm not an ism. I have no ism. I am no longer an ist. I've decided that, okay. I just had to come on here this evening simply because I work for the dollars. You know that. Danny, you're my guy. All right, really Danny, if you have you. a question. So if you got a question for me, and if obviously it has anything at all to do with the fact that, uh, Jen, uh, it's great to see you. I, I just have to say, um, I you had to- You think Joe's gross to sit next to. I had to endure listening to Hillary go on MSDNC the other day and talk about how unbelievably- <laughs> She reads. Double K wants me to make you wear a G-string. Oh, uh, could you remember exactly <laughs> what it was that Hillary was saying about Putin and how she could read his mind and know exactly what he's all about? You know why? Uh, I think they're one and the same. Well, psychopaths, no psychopaths. Uh, that may be true. Uh, I, I'm just a, I don't know what the hell I am. I'm, I'm, I'm just a slick willy uh, having a good time. Uh, but again, she really cannot let it go. <laughs> that is a damn shame.
And so if anybody got any questions for me, uh, you know, far away. I'm looking. Danny. Danny, you know, he's here. I mean, look, it's not that he wouldn't come back another time. I, I mean, you know, what would we do yeah. without that? A G-string would cost more than $20. Yes, it would. That's true. It would cost me about a trip to Palm Beach. And we'll leave it at that. I ain't saying more than that. Or what about Epstein's Island? You know you know like Epstein's said, Island. Saying, you you were hanging I'm out. Not saying anything else. Did Hillary ever put a hit out on Bill? I don't know about that. Where's the cigar, Bill? We need to get him a cigar. We need to get, we need to get. I like certain types of cigars. You know, generally, a lot of guys like the Cuban cigars, like the Cubans. I like Jewish cigars. <laughs> and so... uh We'll just, we'll kind of leave it at that. <laughs> you know me with my Slick Willie innuendo. So just, uh, you know, understand what big Slick Willie likes. All right. So what's your, what's your cue, Danny? All right, Danny boy, ask me a question. Okay. The blue dress and she saved it. You yeah. guys remember when that was like the biggest scandal was your nonsense, was your well, getting I'll, head in I'll the Oval be, Office. Like well, that's a problem. Well, she had a taste of the first scene. And so I would like to, that was, that was very and I would also like to point out what's, what's interesting. And my husband always said, his only problem with any of that was that he really thought you should have been getting a finer piece of tail. I got to tell you that Monica, she was a cutie. Uh, I understand that. My Kennedy was with Marilyn Monroe. You had the chick who brought in the mail. Uh, listen, I'm just I saying. listen, I gotta be fair. I gotta, I gotta give credit where credit's due. You guys are right. I definitely set the bar pretty low when it came to Paula Jones, but on that particular evening, I just needed to get it somehow, some way. And she was just there. And I, uh, I made a very lapse in judgment, but thankfully she, uh, she only accused me of dropping my drawers. <laughs> that was the only thing that happened. Now, You're disgusting. Jennifer, you Jennifer should be Flowers, in now she definitely had a bouquet worth getting into. So, you know, it was, a, it was so, a really, so really gross. amazing time. You're bringing back some really great memories. Yeah, tell us yeah. about Epstein's Island. So, th no, we are not talking about that. That is definitely not something that you were on the plane 26 times. I was on a plane that didn't actually get called to the, the Lolita Express. I was on a plane and I ain't telling you where it landed. That's there is the no thing. way that you did not know what was going on on that plane. Plausible deniability. No, you can't 26 times. One time, happened. two times, maybe. 26 times. 26 times it's participatory. Sorry. Oh, oh, oh. That is a fantastic question. I'm going to tell you, Danny, exactly what I think uh, of that. Have you checked my bank account? If you haven't, then you'd certainly understand how highly I think of appealing glass steagle. Yeah. Now, I understand that a lot of you working stiffs out there got screwed over by that really stupid economic decision that really set the country backwards. And, uh, you know, the amazing thing is, is that that wonderful recession that took place in 2001, of course, that was before 9-11, a lot of people forget, uh, you know, President Bush got blamed for that, even though it was really my stupid decision to repeal Glass-Steagall. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it is it is unfortunate that, you know, a lot of people had to suffer economically as a result. You should but be in prison. I was the president and I had an opportunity I'm, to make a killing. Uh, how could I possibly Like, I feel like I down? want to strangle you right now. I can't even. I'm about to lose it, especially after that whole interview with Max. I'm like on edge. Agent Johnson, Agent Dietz, take care of this lady. If she I am like on, on edge right you now. You're like very method in instigating you me. You understand the former presidents get two lifetime Secret Service agents. Did you know that? <laughs> you're messing with the wrong willy lady. Oh. Go get your own. It ain't going to be mine. Oh.
I, so gross. <laughs> if, if, if I had the opportunity to do it again, I can assure you I would have definitely done it twice. I would have repealed it again. And for those of you who think that the American people are entitled to anything of value, well, you got to have to blame me because I really did start all of it. I know that Reagan was responsible for lowering the tax rates and repealing the fairness doctrine. You were just the next version of him. I was just somebody who could sell it even better. I really was. And, and, and simultaneously fuck over labor from the entire Democratic Party. No, uh, we, we definitely, uh, we, we were not good people, I can assure you of that. But uh, Like Reagan screwed labor and then you came in and then the yeah. Democrats screwed him too. And yet, and yet, they still vote for you. And you know what the amazing thing is, Jen, and this is something all of y'all should just remember that's so important. You know, one thing that a lot of those Democratic rubes out there like to talk about is how I balance the budget. Yeah, I balance the budget on the backs of working people by gutting welfare. <laughs> oh, my God. That is just incredible how much people just don't read the fine print. They just read the headlines. The headlines look great. And I, of course, have quite the legacy. Paul, we're not allowed to talk about that. Uh, what about the repeal? No. Oh, no, we're not talking about we that. We can't talk about that. That is, uh, that is a thing. Not so long as we're on like a Google platform. Yeah, we definitely can't do that. And uh, we got to protect the assassin. That's the kind here. of thing that, well, no, I don't care about that. That's the kind of thing that, that messes up the algorithm and screws up our show. Yeah. That's the problem. It's that's the problem. Like if we were in person, I'd be very happy to chat with you about that. So I'm not, I have no like you know qualms about saying my thoughts on it, but I can't do it on the show because it screws up our show. That's why. I you guys, whatever you do in the chat, whoever that lady is, double K, uh, uh, could it be uh, double D by any chance? And I'm when we're saying, and when she's saying screwing, saying, she's meaning uh, figuratively and literally. Oh well, listen, uh, I screwed the intern, and then I screwed the nation. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how that works out? And by the way, since you were just inquiring before, I mean, we didn't exactly have the best looking interns and it was slim pickings since Hillary is up my ass all the time. And uh, Monica was a sweet young gal and, you know, she kind of had a nice booty and everything kind of did so for me disgusting. what needed to be done. So I can't apologize for that. You I will say I do not in my heart of hearts feel like you're a petter ass because I really just don't. I go but do I think but do I think that you overlooked being amongst pederasses to be amongst girls that are maybe like 15, 16. Yes, I do think that. Listen, if and I think it's let, gross. Excuse me. If their ID card says they're 18, then Whatever, I have dude. no reason to question whether or not they're telling the truth. And that's all that matters to me. Again, just because you're not a pederast doesn't mean you're not lechy and disgusting. I can't say one way or the other, but I can assure you I did not have sexual relations on that island and you could never, ever prove it. Bye. Oh, good God. Thanks, Danny. I hope that was worth it for you. I'm going to need a shower now after that, Danny. Make sure to tune in on Wednesday night at 9 p.m. We will be speaking with Stephen I Bezrushka. Bezrushka. Inequality kills us all. And, and fortunately, all. fortunately, even though his name is very foreign sounding, he is from like I'm, there's not going to be a language problem for me because if this was any sort of indication it would not necessarily be easy but no he is english-speaking person if you guys 
one more time have not gone to patreon.com forward slash generational support our little show five dollars a month get you you the lulu sticker i'm sending out the lulu sticker would be really awesome and of course you have the mansion parliamentarian sticker that goes with the lulu sticker at ten dollars a month do we not have the thing why can't you ever do what i what i like okay well you know that's my point see guys this is what it looks like you your very self can have a, a pumper sticker supporting our pick for 24, which is Mansion and Parliamentarian. Yes. I don't know her name, so we're just calling her Parliamentarian. And last but not least, if you are so very generous to become a $25 a month patron, you will get the wonderful tri-blend jersey of generational change. You all know this is and a I know. And it, you know what? Honestly, guys, I am thinking what we should do is order more of these shirts, but do gen change on the back, just like on the back of this If somebody just wants like a regular cheat Well, no, just order some. Yeah. I mean, maybe just get some of and these it's a distra- made And with, it's a distress purple, we don't which have, I happen to like. Well, it, these are the same. That's the same company, which is why I got hmm. them the same. They match. Okay. This is what happens when I pick. By the way, when I do you remember when I wanted tank tops and you guys were all trying to talk me out of tank tops? And I'm like, I'm having tank tops. I don't think I did. They that. were so popular and they were I this don't same color. I think I color. ever talked you out of that. You were, they were all thinking it wasn't necessary to do tank tops in addition to shirts. And I'm like, well, considering if you want me to wear no, it, I think it if you're to going to, kit, and last but not least, if you are so inclined and don't want to put your credit card on the grid, go to Cash App, dollar sign, Gen Change. Oh, I want to show one of the things that we just got that we're for that. These and, are the new kits. These are and the these are, and what your tax dollars towards this show. I mean, this is just one of the things you guys know I do is I, I, I have hygiene kits for unhoused people. And this is a new pack that I have a whole bunch of these that came. And um, I give these out. These have white wet wipes in them, which is apparently an extremely very popular thing um, to have. So that's the kind of stuff that, that we do with our money. And we do occasionally try to pay the people that work for us for like less than, you know, for very pittance. It's kind of ironic that we're so pro labor, but yet we don't, Ben, are you sitting over there thinking it's funny that they talk about labor, but they don't really pay. Is that, you know, like, does that ever cross your mind over there? We pay what we get. I mean, yeah. So, but know. it's just funny. Since you're like, we're so like, we don't know what to abuse labor. And yet here's Ben sitting in front ben of us. And who almost definitely works know for free, what we know. Like they bare definitely minimum. get the money and they know what we bring in. So they would know for sure if we were really screwing them out. Of right. They money. know there's no money. There's, right. They they're capable know. of seeing the... <laughs> But my point is, so we're not necessarily like, we don't, we don't pay the big bucks, but um, yeah. That's we that. love you guys. We appreciate all the wonderful support. Obviously can't say enough good about Double K and Danny Wyndham, two of our biggest contributors to our show. For anybody else who is considering uh, becoming a supporter, we appreciate each and every one of you, Paul Gonzalez, Off the Rail, Rush Gators, even our conservative friends, Metaopoly, uh, Stop labeling people. We're, yes. Let's not have labels. Yeah, you're anymore. on our you're on our team, Metalopoly, whether you like it or not. Well, I just think that that like we we like to label ourselves, and we always have to categorize other people. Like I have so many people ask me, "Well, what, are you this? Are you this?" And I don't understand why I have to be an ist. I don't understand why we have to have these labels. Just it's so yourself, frustrating. Just call yourself an independent. Well, I just I'm just a person. But I got to tell I don't, you, I just got, I feel like we need to get away from. We this. have really gotten to a point now, though, with some of the like the the absolute far gone Democrats. Like, if you even say you're an independent, that's well, then you're just adjacent to Trump somehow. It's like we. But have, that's just even when you're talking. Then you're talking just partisan labels. I'm yeah. talking just in general labels. Yeah. And whether or not I'm a socialist or a communist, like, why do we need to have labels? Are we so? 
like are human beings, and I know the answer to this is yes, like we're so basic minded that everything has to be a dichotomy. If this is good, then that must be bad. No, both things can be good or both things can be bad. So if this team is right, then this team is wrong. No, they both can be wrong and they both can suck or whatever. And it's like we have this incessant need to have labels and teams. And I find it incredibly frustrating. And I reject that from here on out. I am no longer part. Well, okay, I have to be registered with this party. I live in a closed primary state or I can't participate. But I am not affiliated with an IST a group, a, a, a thing. I am just, yeah, I'm just Jen. Just Jen. Just Jen. See you Wednesday. <laughs> Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.